Welcome to Sex Talk About Something. Today, we're going to be taking a deeper look into the current state of sexual education in U.S. public schools and the ramifications of inadequate sexual health literacy. As of today, only eight states have laws that require sex education to be a part of the school curriculum. This means that several states are not thoroughly teaching sex ed in their schools, many of which have the highest STD rates in the entire country. Additionally, an overall lack of sex ed nationally has contributed to the United States having the highest maternal death rate, level of unintended pregnancies, level of STDs in youth populations, and level of teenage pregnancies in the developed world. It is important to first understand the concept of comprehensive sexual education. Comprehensive sex ed involves explicitly discussing ideas such as sexual orientation and contraception in order to allow the student to gain a holistic and in-depth understanding of all aspects of sexual health literacy. Often this broad scope of sexual health literacy involves explicit intersectionality. For example, there are obvious overlaps among maternal death rates, women's rights, socioeconomic status, and various other factors. This intersectionality is imperative to discuss, and it is a large part of truly comprehensive sexual education. According to the CDC, fewer than half of high schools and only a fifth of middle schools teach lessons on all 16 of the nationally recommended topics for sexual health education. Less than 40% of schools nationwide require sex and health education for graduation. Comprehensive sexual education and mandated sexual health programs are essential in reducing the amount of unwanted teen pregnancies, STD rates, and maternal mortality. However, most sexual education programs do not include this comprehensive education in the curriculum, and some state legislation even prohibits public schools from addressing these topics at all. In order to address the problems that exist within the umbrella of sexual health, it is first imperative to include these topics within the national required curriculum in American public schools. The importance of comprehensive sexual health education in public schools become increasingly obvious when considering that in 2016, the United States had higher rates of teen pregnancy and STDs than most other industrialized countries. Analyzing U.S. sexual ed policy next to other developed nations is imperative in understanding objective findings as it gives a basic basis for explicit comparison. This is also important on a state-to-state basis. For example, when sex ed included information about contraception, teens had a lower risk of pregnancies than adolescents in states that have abstinence-only sex education or no sex education at all. Let's hear from an expert in women's sexual health for more information on how comprehensive sexual health literacy can substantially mitigate risk factors in young sexually active women. Today I'm here with Dr. Michael Jackson, who is an OBGYN here in Savannah, Georgia, to talk more about comprehensive sexual education and what it looks like from a medical professional standpoint. To begin, let's just discuss how your practice approaches educating its young patients on the different contraceptives that are used to prevent pregnancy and the risks that are also involved with being sexually active. When a young patient comes in, they're almost always with their mother or another guardian. And the first thing that happens is I always tell the mother or the guardian that I'm always going to be very open and honest about everything that I discuss. They sometimes don't realize that sexual activity begins oftentimes in middle school And when they come in, they have no idea that such things even happen. So first I say, okay, we're going to be open and honest. And then I also tell the patient that I'm always going to tell her the good, the bad, and the ugly. So first we usually start with that I tell them, first of all, be absent. Don't have sex. That it is normal to have feelings. It's normal for both her and her partner to have feelings and to want to have sex. But first, just don't. But then I also tell them, I'm going to explain the reasons why not to, and hopefully they'll listen and understand why. 
I then get into all aspects of the sexual relationship, including first the emotional side of it, which someone in, and I'm now dealing most with middle schools that we're talking about now, but the middle schoolers are not ready emotionally for that type of relationship. I then explain to them the medical reasons why not to. First and foremost, of course, is pregnancy. No one in middle school is ready for a baby, and they think that they're invincible and it's not going to happen to them. And I explain to them that every week I have patients that are their age that come in pregnant with an unwanted pregnancy that they then have to deal with that part of having a relationship. I then get into the part that they sometimes touch in school and sometimes they don't, which is the STD standpoint. When they're in school and they see a slide or they see it up on the screen or the teacher says, oh, yes, there's these STDs, it doesn't really hit home. But one point I always make to them is that chlamydia, which is the most common STD that we see, has no symptoms. There's no itch, no burn, no nothing, and they can have it for a long period of time. It goes from the vagina up into the uterus and the fallopian tubes and cause a blockage. And then later in life, when they are ready for a baby, they then can't get pregnant. So any decision they make it they make at this early age can impact their life later. So my summary to them is always, first, I'm on your team. I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. And I don't want you to have sex. If you're going to have sex, you have to know the consequences that go along with that. And then we also get into the contraception part of that. Should I say that now or about the contraception? Um, So then we also talk about all the different aspects of contraception, which include birth control pills, birth control patches, a ring that goes in the vagina, and also a birth control shot. But that in doing these things, there's risk and benefits, although the risks are super small if they're used appropriately. One problem with the middle age or middle school age patient is that their compliance with using birth control effectively and appropriately is usually not what it should be. So then if it's not used appropriately, the birth control can fail and then they can become pregnant. The other part of all the, those birth controls are they don't really help prevent STDs, although condoms can decrease STDs, they don't completely prevent them. So most of the time after our conversation, the mother is shocked that I've talked about such things and she had no idea that middle schoolers had sex. The patient is a little bit relieved because they realize that I do understand and I can help them and that they're not alone in this dilemma that they're in. So they go away relieved and they usually have a better understanding and also want to do something if they are sexual to prevent STDs and to prevent pregnancy, but they feel more comfortable after that point. The last point I made to the patient is that we're their safe haven and they can come to us for any type of questions or other issues that can happen so they feel more comfortable. With all that being said, let's say your, your practice focused more on educating its young patients about abstinence and less about the contraceptives and risks related to being sexually active. Do you think you would see more young women come in with STDs and unintended pregnancies than what you experience now? Absolutely would see more intended pregnancies and we would definitely see more STDs and the patients would not be coming back because they would feel like instead of being someone who's actually trying to help them, they'd feel like I'd taken a parental step toward their care and telling them what to do rather than trying to help them as they make these difficult decisions. There's a lot of peer pressure both from themselves and also from whoever their partner is to have sex and if they're going to have sex, and they feel like the doctor or the 
the medical facility they go to are not going to help them. They're still going to have sex, but now they're doing this unprotected and they expose themselves to the STDs and, of course, to pregnancy. So that would definitely go up. To wrap it up, let's talk about your opinion as a medical professional on how some of the challenges you face treating young women at work could be somewhat alleviated if comprehensive sexual education was taught more in schools around the country. The biggest problem that I see is not so much from my patients because I feel like I can educate my patients and help them make the right decisions and also help them to prevent STDs and pregnancy, but I know that I have a very small percentage of the middle schoolers that come in. Most wait till either in high school or some not even till college so they actually see a gynecologist. And so this huge population of young ladies are not getting the proper education. So either they're learning it from their friends or not learning it at all. And then they're making the wrong decisions and then the STD rate continues to go up and the pregnancy rate continues to go up because they don't have that education. So having the education in the schools where they're open and honest and can actually help these, these patients definitely would lower all those rates. Well, Dr. Jackson, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and talk to me about this. Thank you. You're welcome. Now we're going to hear from Caroline about a few of the legislative barriers and various other challenges we face as a nation in implementing comprehensive sexual health literacy programs. Taking steps to combat teen pregnancy and STDs and implement comprehensive sex education becomes difficult upon considering the legislative barriers that are currently in place. The federal government's promotion of abstinence-only sex education dates back to 1981, when the Reagan administration passed the Adolescent Family Life Act, or the AFLA. This law was passed with the intention to, quote, promote chastity and self-discipline through a family-centered approach, end quote. Since the passing of this legislation, many programs geared towards abstinence-only education have received large amounts of funds from the federal government. In 2008, under the George W. Bush administration, these programs received $117 million, which was a significant increase in funding from the approximately $4 million in funding that they received in 1996 under the Clinton administration. Under Obama, the funding for these abstinence-only organizations largely decreased, but has since gone up under the Trump administration. In 2018, $100 million was given to state abstinence-only programs. Most recently, the federal government developed a program called the Community-Based Abstinence Education Projects in 2000 in order to fund locally developed explicitly abstinence-only school and community programs. The program is funded by the Special Projects of Regional and National Significance Maternal and Child Health Block Grant, so it is able to bypass state legislation and directly fund local organizations to spread their strict definition of abstinence. Under this program, schools are expected to teach that a, quote, mutually faithful monogamous relationship in the context of marriage is the expected state of human sexual activity, end quote, and are prohibited from teaching methods of contraception. Overcoming these legislative barriers is a difficult and daunting task as the effects of the federal government's support for abstinence-only education has been felt at federal, state, and local levels. Reform would have to be comprehensive and well-implemented in order for us to observe real, valuable change. In the event that we do craft legislation that is capable of reversing the harm that has been done by these programs, it is likely that backing the legislation would be seen as politically unattractive by elected officials due to religious opposition to comprehensive sex education. 
While there are substantial barriers in the implementation of sexual health programs in public schools, there are many options and opportunities for public health interventions. Here's Marinaki to give us some more information. Often the most impactful public health interventions are ones which are implemented at an early age for an entire generation. For example, DDT was an endocrine disrupting chemical that was banned in 1972. This led to a decrease in miscarriages and malformations for the generations to come. In a similar way, intervention through constructive and thorough sexual education will begin to have profound impacts such as less birth defects and lower STD rates in the generations to come. When parents are more informed and prepared about reproductive health, they are more capable of supporting a child at the time they desire, which will instill such values in their children later on. Parents that remain free from the spread of STDs will encourage and emphasize the importance of safe sex practices to their children. The opportunities for public health intervention are boundless. They go beyond the traditional abstinence-only educational system, which clearly has not made much of an impact since people still choose to have unprotected sex. The prevalence of STDs and increased birth defects do not just affect our generation, but every generation that follows if something does not change. Much like, gener- much like generational poverty, a multitude of studies show that parents with unplanned pregnancies and STDs are far more likely to have children with similar tendencies and outlooks. By rerouting our approach to sexual education, the public health protocol effectively breaks a chain of unsafe sex practices. According to a study at Brown University, unplanned pregnancies lead to higher rates of maternal suicide and depression. In addition, sexually transmitted diseases can plague an individual for life. Decreased sexual appeal from societal condemnation, increased susceptibility to opportunistic pathogens, and even death can be a result of sexually transmitted diseases. It is undeniable that the results of unprotected sexual encounters from lack of information can be devastating to all parties involved in the encounter. Fortunately, With all of the public health issues, unprotected sexual encounters have among the most remedies and solutions. Regardless of the conventionally praised abstinence-only programs, dozens of products and medications exist to prevent the unintended outcomes of unprotected sex. This translates to an abundance of solutions and thereby a myriad of approaches for public health officials. While our solution is mainly focused on institutionalized instruction from a secondary school level, opportunities for public health interventions extend beyond the classroom. This encouraging fact means that this is essential intervention that is realistic and accessible. The underpinnings of most public health challenges can be traced back to a severe lack of education of the public. The results of such inadequacies translate to some of the highest rates of unintended in teen pregnancies as well as STIs in the developed world. Laxism in state regulation is the stance that the federal government has adopted in recent years. It is imperative now more than ever to implement a nationally mandated sexual health literacy program in American public schools. Left in the hands of the state governments, legislation and implementation has been far too lenient, notably due to pushback from religious and conservative lobbying groups and organizations. Drastic reform is needed to reduce these rates. We believe one of the best ways to achieve these reductions is comprehensive education beyond abstinence only. Only then can we rest assured that this will not continue to be one of the greatest assaults on the general public health in this nation. On behalf of Group 6, thanks for listening to Sex Talk About Something. (laughs) 